Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me again today is Dane Wigington, founder of geoengineeringwatch.com, a website that I highly recommend you pay attention to. To have him back on to discuss a very concerning topic for me, something that you know you've been watching me read over and concern myself about, you know, trying to research as much as I can around the developments of nanotechnology, which, by the way, I've been researching and discussing for a very long time, but there's so much information as it continues to evolve. And my worry is about the dark corners in regard to that technology that we don't see, where it really is today versus what we're told, what it's actually capable of versus what we're told in the news or what the government tells you is coming and discuss the overlap, the intersection of that alarming technology and all its different facets from nanoparticles, nanotechnology, virus-sized transistors, you know, self-assembling nanotechnology, and where those intersect with the conversation of geoengineering or the injections we're discussing, whether we're talking about smart dust level, the kind of aspect of spraying this kind of stuff from the sky, or these are more you know, or or whether we're even able to achieve that at this point, as I just had a great interview with Jay Cooey about this, where he argues that that's being researched, but not necessarily possible. And I want to get Dane's thoughts on where this really is, because he's been researching this for so long. And I do believe this is one of the most important conversations, even if it has yet to happen yet, because of where they're building towards. So, Dane, thank you for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to have you on. How are you? Pleasure and an honor, Ryan. And in regard to these technologies that unfortunately many are still holding to the narrative that it's proposals or in development and, and so much of that has long since been deployed. So we're trying to move the conversation past that uh, smokescreen of we could, may, might do this someday. It's been ongoing for very a very, very long time. <clears throat> And exactly my biggest concern. And, you know, I, I do understand the, you know, at the very least being careful in, in a position of science to, to you know, the argument being that the, the at least from what the perspective I've, perspective I just framed being that this is being worked on, it's being studied, and just as far as he can tell hasn't been achieved yet, kind of a mindset, more of a cautious stance, not to say that it for sure isn't, but I'm with you on that. So my, my mindset is I see a lot, enough evidence to, I think, provably show you that this stuff in some cases is being used and how it overlaps with already things that have been deployed in a very alarming way. Just speaking just on the injection, not even to get into the things that we can't really, you know, that the average person would say you can't prove. But I, I agree that I think this is a very prominent conversation right now. And I'm even beginning to wonder whether it is directly causing a lot of the stuff that we talk about in, in different health conversations and otherwise. And I'm sure you've got a lot of opinions on that. But let, let's start with the conversation just of, of geoengineering, because this is something that, you know, obviously the mindset and, and the focal point of my conversation today that where I want to take it is how that intersects with this topic of geoengineering. But for those that know your work and, you know, one of the, you've been ringing this bell for longer than anyone I know and, and really highlighting geoengineering and the concern, which by the way, again, is a topic that's now kind of like becoming, yeah, we know that even though your battle has been trying to prove that it even exists. And up until it's, by the way, it's a funny way this works. I'm sure, you know, where it's fake, 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 you're a liar up until, oh, now it's real and here's why. And you're still somehow a liar. I think that's a hilarious <laughs> way that always goes, right? Yeah, you comment on that since that's just a funny dynamic we all deal with. It is, it, it is true. And in, in this case, where we still have large, the vast majority of so-called academia pretending that we could, may, might have to climb an engineer someday if things get bad enough, when anybody who's not clinically blind can see this going on in our skies, right. has been going on for 75 plus years. And in the case of 
the condensation trail false narrative. When we have up close film footage of these aircraft at altitude, nozzles visible, turning dispersions on and off. That's the end of that debate. These right. are dispersions. This is not, quote, condensation. And anybody should stop to consider condensation doesn't behave in this manner. You don't have a, a auto exhaust system when you start up in the morning on a cold day and you see condensation coming out of that exhaust pipe. And that's 100% combusted air, by the way. A, a high-bypass turbofan jet engine is is only 10% combusted air. 90% is non-combusted. So it's very uh, incapable of producing a condensation trail except under rare and extreme circumstances. But you don't see a cloud hovering over a car that's got a condensing exhaust. Or if you see a researcher in Antarctica and his breath is condensing, you don't see a cloud hanging over their head. A condensation, again, doesn't behave in this way. This whole condensation trail narrative has been patently false from day one. So back to what you stated, this position of so many in academia that pretend things are proposals that have actually been long since deployed and that's exactly the case here, Ryan. We have the climate science community describing everything we see in our skies, aircraft dispersing particles to block the sun, turn the sky hazy, filthy white, toxic fallout coming down to the ground, destroyed ozone layer, disrupted hydrological cycle. All of it's happening right now, and yet they still pretend that it's not. I mean, it's just infuriating, and I agree. I, the fact that you even have to probably, even in this episode, it's probably frustrating to even have to yet again explain why this is real, it's obvious, and you, we, I, I understand that I know that this is a real thing. What's important is for the average person who may have just stepped into this, kind of what we were saying before, how nice it is to see that there are a lot of new people who are suddenly just not just like aware of this stuff, but suddenly going, I'm willing to entertain things that might have been resistant before. And so that's nice to see that. And I think a lot of that's happening with this conversation. So I'm so glad that they're finally seeing that. But you're right. This is a very old conversation. This has been provable for a long time. And I will reference people to your work more, first and foremost and just cite things like this, like we talked about last time, like basic ignition of a program, which, by the way, to your discussion has been going on a long time. But this is Harvard discussing the 15 year costs and plans. So whether it was done or not, very clearly a real thing. And this brings us to the point that you recently referenced in your uh, on your on your Twitter feed. And here's your Twitter account, by the way, as well. And uh, here's the oh, I also include, by the way, that you're linked to your amazing documentary. But you made an interesting point here in, in this video, this article, and I want to go through it really quickly, and it's about the idea of injecting reflective particles into the sky, kind of like what could go wrong. Act, act, to your point, acting like this is some new, profound realization. But what's really crazy about this is that, so first of all, just for those that are out there still disputing this, here's the Wall Street Journal discussing exactly that, injecting rel re reflective particles in the sky in order to save us from the big bad climate change, which is completely debatable in and of itself. And and basically saying, well, I mean, why don't I just let you describe what this is about so I don't have to read through it and why this was an important point to make, which brought you to the point about uh, ra nanoparticle rain, which is what I wanted to get to. But what are your thoughts on this article and why did you highlight it? Well, again, it's like m many other sources that continue to produce this type of report that now what they have marginalized for so many decades, now they're acknowledging that we quote could may might do the unthinkable, which has already been ongoing for 75 plus years. And in regard to the discussion of climate, anything, as we talked about off air, our position at geoengineeringwatch.org is this, how can we have any legitimate discussion about the climate from any perspective without first and foremost addressing this issue? Right. And we have groups on all sides of the, that particular debate that are expressing their opinion while ignoring climate engineering, which makes their opinion completely invalid. 
whatever it may be. So again, I think it's reasonable, rational, and in fact, inarguable to say that there's no legitimate discussion about climate anything without addressing this first and foremost. In regard to the nanoparticle discussion, these particles don't exist naturally in nature, mm-hmm. and including the elements we're talking about. And for those that don't know, because we have the climate science community pretending that, well, we should see aluminum in our rain. That's patently false. Aluminum does not exist in free form in nature, period. It's always bonded to other elements. If we have free form aluminum in our precipitation, and we do now, which makes it bioavailable, which makes it incredibly harmful to all life forms. For those that don't know, aluminum is harmful to all life, period. No exceptions. It's now in our precipitation, which means it's in our air column, which means it's in all of us. Every person we test, hair, blood, urine, all packed with this metal, building up in our systems. It's synergistically toxic with other metals, which makes it more harmful still. So again, there is no regard for the consequences of what they're dispersing into our air column. And in fact, Ryan, and I'll leave it with this, I would argue that the fact that we're all getting dumber by the day, and we are, this is this affects our cognitive ability to be inhaling these types of elements. That also serves those in power. It makes a population easier to manipulate and control if they're not firing on all neurons. Does that make sense? 100%. 100%. And I mean, and overlap that with what right now is, again, something else we should already know for decades by now, but is now being proven in a court of law that fluoride is also a neurotoxin or glyphosate. Is, or, I mean, you could go off for 25 minutes about the different things in our environment and our food and our clothes and the air that are actively working in, you know, in a synergistic fashion in some cases to make us, yes. you know, it, it's horrifying. Again, that's that's a conversation for an entire show, which we probably should do. But so this is the important part on this for people to understand. And this is why I'm harping on this point. Just to show you some of these things that Dane highlighted in this clip, which I'll include. It's saying, first of all, taxpayer funds. So if you're if you're not okay with this, realize that your money is paying for them to do this. And first of all, even the testing in outdoor methods. So that does not seem to me to be something that is contained, first of all. Then it is goes on even further to tell you they do, in fact, have three field experiments that are underway in the United States and overseas. So showing you that this is not some you know, isolated concept. And again, the larger point is we should, we know and have proven this is not and is a worldwide thing and is not just some little testing. But my point is that it's proving and admitting that they're actually doing it out in the open and saying that they are now spraying briny mixtures with the nanoparticles we're discussing to reflect the sunlight from the earth as if that's already been decided, right? And that's, that's the alarming part. Also, an Israeli startup is involved in this. And of course, they won't disclose the composition of the proprietary particles, which you made fun of in your clip. It's just shocking to me. Or things like putting what equi- what amounts to a big uh, tablet of Tums in the ocean to reduce the acidity. Like this stuff is alarming as hell to me in regard to what we, it, it, the fact that it's being debated at the highest levels of science. And just think this is the kind of stuff that we'll never come back from, in my opinion. So if you have any comments on just that, go ahead. And then I was going to jump to the next point. You're, you're correct. I mean, the, the point of no return, which we have passed about two decades ago in regard to the planet we've known, although we've been incredibly poor stewards of planet Earth, and I don't think there's any rationally arguing that, the intentional intervention in the planet's life support systems with highly toxic elements is the most destructive of all. Not only is it, again, contaminating the entire planet every breath we take, you correctly mentioned synergistic toxicity, We all have mercury in us, for example, from coal-fired power plants, amalgam fillings, uh, perhaps vaccinations. In the case of mercury and aluminum, we all have aluminum in us now as well from the air we're breathing. Those two metals in combination, the synergistic toxicity can increase the overall toxicity by as much as 10,000%. That's 100 times worse 
And we don't have any study on many of these other elements, which certainly adds further fuel to that equation. So it's a wonder of any of us can function at this point. But the, the gravity of this threat cannot be overstated. Again, not only toxifying our entire, our entire planet using weather as a weapon, it's destroying the planet's protective atmospheric layer, starting with the ozone layer, which is radically depleted at this point. The former NASA contract engineer that works directly for geoengineeringwatch.org is currently concluding based on our, our ongoing testing that globally there's approximately 23% of the ozone layer left, not 23% depleted, 23% left. That's less at the polar regions, more at the mid-latitudes, but we are in incredibly dangerous ground here. No ozone layer, no terrestrial life on Earth, and most aquatic life gone as well. And we're talking about extremely near-term threats, Ryan, on the current rate of ozone destruction, of which climate engineering is the single greatest factor destroying the ozone layer, we're talking about a functional collapse of the ozone layer this decade. That's how close we are to hitting the wall. And they're not going to stop these programs unless or until they're exposed and the public and the, and the military that are participating, their family members realize what they're participating in. Our only chance is a critical mass of awareness. See, this is really fascinating. And, and, and since you mentioned it, if you'd like to go further into the synergistic aspects, please do, because I mean, it's an important topic. I'll include this as well in regard to uh, Stephanie Seneff and Danny Rancourt had a conversation. Stephanie Seneff, PhD, talking about the synergistic aspects of glyphosate with the injection, the spike protein. So there's a lot of this stuff happening. I think that's interesting. But what, but to your point there, I find fascinating. So what, we've all heard of the ozone layer, right? We've all heard of this. There was a big push about this conversation, you know, back however many years ago in regard to, you know, exactly this kind of conversation, but from another angle, saying essentially that we need to stop polluting the planet, climate change, because it's hurting the ozone, which is going to hurt, you know, same kind of conversation. But we, we had this great conversation in our last interview uh, entitled Geoengineering and Climate Change, Gambling with the Human Species. And this was a, a great conversation because you make the point about that, you know, it's not necessarily that there's not a problem. I make the same point about hurting the planet. We're destroying this planet. It's not to say that's not happening, but the argument they're making from a, the carbon aspect to control us is not accurate as far as I'm concerned. But you may, to the point about this, this, the ozone layer is something that was focused on, yet we don't hear about it anymore. So to that same point, you're arguing there is actually a problem, but they're just not trying to solve the problem. They're trying to use it to achieve their own ends. If I understand that correctly and, and explain why we're not talking about the ozone if it's, if it's that big of a problem at this point. Well, certainly we have disaster capitalists. We always have. In the case of wars, we have certain institutions and entities that are profiting off both sides of the conflict. But that doesn't mean the conflict didn't happen. That didn't, doesn't mean people didn't die. So the same must be remembered here because so many people look at individuals like Al Gore, who owns stock in the very companies he claims to be fighting. He's obviously profiting off whatever's happening in the climate. But does that mean we should ignore the damage done? And that's where we need to be very discerning. So in, in this case, with the severity of what's unfolding right now, those disaster capitalists, I would compare them, Ryan, to, as I've, I have in the past, it's, it's like a pirate filling his pockets with loot on a sinking ship. How much good will that do them in the end? And, and we are on a sinking ship. I, whatever a, a person's perspective is, the notion that this paradigm will continue much longer is a very naive notion. If we look at statistical mathematical trajectory, species extinction rate right now today we're losing two to three hundred species of plant animal and insect to extinction every single day many of those species haven't even been identified yet we're that that ratio that's fifteen 
thousand times the background rate because Ryan, you hear people say, well, species have always gone extinct. It's part of the process. No, not at 15,000 times the background rate. That's a million and a half percent of normal. There's nothing normal about that. We will not continue on this trajectory much longer. And I would argue in the coming weeks and months, the severity of what's unfolding right now will make it apparent to many more that the party's over. And, and Ryan, did you, you may have just seen Texas just had temperatures in the mid nineties. Did you see that? In the middle of winter. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've seen some pretty interesting difference. Uh, go ahead. I've seen some differences. So in the 90s in Texas, in, in China, they just had a temperature of 62 degrees below zero. Hmm. How can you possibly have that kind of anomalies happening? So we have different aspects of climate engineering that many are unaware of. So underneath the high-pressure heat dome, which can be created by frequency transmissions from institute, installations like HARP in Alaska, causes an electrical chain reaction in the ionosphere, and they're using that to manipulate the jet stream. So you can be under a high-pressure heat dome, which is what just happened in Texas. Again, that is not nature. And in China, 62 degrees below zero is not nature either. That's chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. So when they create these okay. flash freeze events where it goes from 80 degrees to snow in a day, and that's becoming the norm now, mm. that is not nature. They're, they're chemically nucleating cloud moisture, creating a toxic surface flash freeze that's an aspect of climate engineering that no one but geoengineeringwatch.org is acknowledging, and I hope that changes. Me too. Me too. Well, so and so, so this th is this in your eye is an experiment to try to achieve a certain outcome at our expense, or is this manufacturing events to make to justify in the eyes of the people that we have a climate emergency? How do you see that? It's a double-edged sword because in many ways they're trying to fuel the division of the population in regard to their perception of the true damage already done to the climate. So. When they engineer these flash cool downs, even if it was 80 degrees the day before, people forget about that and, and think, well, it must be fine. There can't be any warming on the planet because look at this flash freeze we just had. And Ryan, if, let me rewind back till 2014. You may remember all the headlines about the Boston record snow. They really sensationalized that in 2014. What didn't they tell us at that time? There was no snow, 14,000 foot up in the Sierras in the middle of winter. And, and about this frozen material, Ryan, this chemically frozen material that now we're told is snow. And, and, and there's so many different forms of it now. They call grapple. Uh, there's freezing rain is now the norm in the transition zone between the warm side of the so-called winter storm and the cold side. Since when do we have winter storms coming out of the record warm Gulf of Mexico? So this freezing rain is when you have chemically nucleated elements that are hitting the surface before they set up and freeze. And this material, as we see all the Snowmageddon we had in California last year, much of this did not translate into runoff because this chemically frozen material tends to sublimate. Sublimation means that it, it transitions from a solid to a gas and bypasses much of the liquid phase, much like dry ice. Dry ice completely sublimates. There's no liquid runoff. So this is an unnatural material. You don't get as much runoff. That's why in spite of all this Snowmageddon last year in California, uh, we are not out of the drought. And even the rain that does fall, Ryan, is toxic. So our trees right now, and I live in the middle of the wilderness. I'm completely off grid, Northern California, nothing but wilderness in every direction around me. Trees are dying faster now than, than in the middle of summer because the rain that falls is toxic. So where does that leave us? Right, right. I mean, the point before the fact that you are that they're even trying to argue that aluminum is naturally in water. It one shows you an inherent dishonesty, like it, the criminality from people that are pretending to fight for you. But, you know, yes. th this is obviously a problem. And, and so th this is where it intersects with the interesting part for me. 
So what you're talking about there is, is engineering these things either way, right? Whether it's to manipulate or whether it's to try to experiment to achieve a certain end that we're not even aware of, this is still unnatural, right? So that's obvious. So it's it, unnatural and it's, it's malevolent. I want, I want to make that clear that there is nothing benevolent about climate engineering anything. These operations are male- malevolent. They're about power and control, period. I completely agree. I, but I frankly find it sometimes counterproductive uh, for some people who don't want to accept that but still might entertain the science and what they can prove. But I agree with you. I think you can quite frankly prove that there is something inherently anti-human about a lot of what's happening here. But that, that's, that's my opinion. But, but so this comes to an intersection between, you know, again, what, you, what I was just showing there, and this comes off the, the, the link or the discussion you were pointing to about nanoparticles contamination in the rain and the water so what one side of this is just nanoparticles right that's what we're discussing in the aluminum the barium the things that are being found in, in the testing which should not be there and it by the way provably at levels that are dangerous it's it's like yes. in san francisco around the world but there's a difference between nanoparticles and nanotechnology or there can be i mean they can conflate but the idea being that we're talking about like smart dust and i still find the word robot to be like archaic it doesn't even apply anymore to kind of what we're talking about but that's ultimately the level we're getting to is like nanotechnology to the point of like virus sized transistors robot kind of stuff the actual level of smart dust which which we can get to i've got clips and we can show it but what are you talking about here in your mind where do you think that's at and what it, are, are we at a point where we're actually dealing with like smart dust level nanotechnology within what you're dealing with or is that something that you see in the future not possible where you see this overlapping right now well, certainly when we look at the, the level of technology now in many arenas, there is likely a depth to this that we can't yet know. But what we do know is certainly more than alarming enough for your listeners so they understand how small a nanoparticle is, as we discussed off the air. You can fit up to 100,000 nanoparticles across the width of a single human hair. They're inconceivably small which makes them bioavailable into everything. They infiltrate all life forms. In the case of us as human beings, as we inhale through our nasal passages, these particles enter through that pathway in, in the olfactory nerve, crossing the blood-brain barrier. They're in, they're in every aspect of us now. And, and we now know, and Ryan, I, I know you've seen that the science community is finally acknowledging that the nanopolymers, nanoplastics are showing up in everything, human organs, the human brain. And we have the the metals as well, which they tend to try to sweep under the rug. So it's the, the gravity of this threat again, can't be overstated. It's in everything we eat. We, we just had a testing done on 85 staple foods, many of them organic and 84 of those 85 foods all had nanoparticle polymers in them. So again, and that's and there's other elements they're not even looking for. So everything in our world is contaminated. We have peer-reviewed study to prove that there's not an uncontaminated drop of rain on the planet Earth. Everywhere, North Pole, South Pole, top of Mount Everest, everywhere in between. They're contaminated not only with PFAS forever chemicals, but climate engineering elements on top of that, which are not being acknowledged. So how long can we live in a toxic fishbowl and expect right. to survive when insects are crashing, plankton's crashing, crops are crashing? How long can we survive under these conditions? Right, right. I believe what's called we're in what's called the Anthropocene, right? That's the a kind right. of discussion of the sixth extinction movement we're in right now. What was right. so what, what's interesting there is 
again, predominantly you're discussing particles, right? Which would mean anything that is to the size of it would be deemed nano size, which I forget the exact numbers if you have it off the top of your head. But that so anything, so a piece of dust, a piece of clothing, those are all going to be nanoparticles, which in and of themselves you can find. The, and that's your point that the plastic side of that, the polymers and the issue there are fi- being found everywhere. The masks that people were forced to wear were full of them and they're in your lungs and it's way before that even right but so yes. i so that i think is clear and that's a problem in and of itself there's entire studies around how it, that can be dangerous or is dangerous no no, no can period right. doesn't matter right. what the element is when you're talking about particles that small they are harmful period mm-hmm. there's no safe level and now let's add to the fact that we're talking about elements that are harmful period and in nanoparticle form i mean this is a right. very lethal equation you're correct Right. Well, you you uh, triggered a question there for me. So, what about isn't explain to me how there isn't already nano-sized particles throughout history because we've existed? Is that not maybe I just don't understand the like? My point would be that I find your point there at the end. I think is the most important. Dangerous things that are now in nanoparticle size that are now being aerosolized and spread. And but so wouldn't we already have nanoparticulate circulating through history just because we've existed, or does it have to be created by human interaction? Particles that small are, are not a, a normal natural element. I mean, ah, if we're talking about a, a manufactured particle to be, again, 100,000 across the width of a single human hair. So we're talking about a whole new arena in the physical realm that we've not been exposed to before, that we're not adapted to dealing with, and especially when we're talking about these kinds of elements. So, uh, again, the, the gravity of what they're doing with no... I don't want to say no consideration of the consequences because they do consider it and they do understand those at the very top of this insanity, those who print the money. And for those who ask that, all roads go back to those who print the money. They control militaries, thus they control countries, they control media, everything in between. But if we look at them as a cancer, as you and I have discussed before, does a cancer consider that its unchecked expansion will eventually kill the host? No, it doesn't consider that. It, right. it simply continues to proliferate unchecked. And we're talking about those that are addicted to power and they are not going to relinquish that addiction. So uh, we're not dealing with sanity ultimately. And those who think that if they ignore this long enough, that somehow it will magically work itself out. Good luck with that. Right. Exactly. Well, I, I, I learned something right there. I didn't know that. I was always an impression that nanoparticles were, you know, it at least could be naturally could. So that, that's important to know. So that means that in and of itself, the creation of those in just almost what would might be perceived as a benign way to the average person are in fact dangerous. I have an article uh, from uh, National Library of Medicine, PubMed, that goes back to, I think, the early 2000s or earlier, just outlining that very point, that nanoparticles in general, here's why they're gent- dangerous. But I always took that more to mean the like the aluminum side of it. So that's, again, very important to learn this stuff. But so then it brings me to the point about nanotechnology which is very real nobody should be dismissing the reality of where we're at with this especially as we're being told at every intersection of human with technology right now that that's the future everywhere right that's the nanotechnology and the injections and the your you know things in your house so do you already feel that that is happening do you feel that there are examples of of nanotechnology and i'm going to the point of smart dust because i've proven in my research that goes back decades the actual real world to i think a company if i remember correctly called uh smart networks it was a government overlap company that was uh, producing these for company use in regard to making smart cities and smart grids decades ago and they were telling us how they were using it in real real time so it's weird how that conversation got just absent like nobody talks about it anymore and like i'll play a clip next but i want what do you think in regard to whether that's already been done is smart dust ubiquitous 
and has it been utilized by geoengineering? It would absolutely appear to be the case on every front. And, and by the time we hear about certain specific technologies, it's already been actively used for decades, likely. So um, I, I would be in agreement with you on all fronts. And again, there's so many layers to this that we can't yet fully know or understand. But what we do know is more than enough to cause an immediate uh, existential alarm. And, and the repercussions are now surfacing absolutely everywhere. We have from, I mentioned the toxic rain, Ryan, we have recent studies of fish. There was 500 locations of wild caught fish tested throughout the continental U.S. Without exception, eating eating one single wild caught fish is equivalent to drinking a month's worth of toxic water. Think wow. about that. So much for nature and, and th- people thinking they're eating anything that's uncontaminated. It's, these elements that you were discussing are now permeated into everything in our world. It's just so, it's so unnerving as much as I am, you know, researching this and aware of the concerns. It's just, you know, it's like, you hope you're wrong. You know, like this is such a, an all encompassing ubiquitous problem. So, so my, so where my concern goes with this is that this gets into the, uh, the conversation of uh, here, here's a good article to bring us over there as, as this writes, NIST made sun and rain details. So they're making this, you know, precipitation, how nanoparticles can escape from plastic coatings in the environment. So now you can see this overlap of how you can see different ways that this stuff could either on purpose or accidentally sort of be leached into the environment. And so I want to play this clip really quickly. And this goes back to, so remember what Dane was saying in regard to just nanoparticles and how tiny these things can actually be. Let's get into the concept of actual smart dust, going back to the DARPA earliest aspects of it, the Mu chip, which is another angle of it that go back 20 years. And I'll show this clip where the guy, this is at the MakerCon. It's a, like a symposium on, on smart tech, uh, nanotechnology. And he's a leading expert on this field, and he's discussing where it is. Now, this is a 10-year-old video. He's pointing at something that's 10 years old. So it's a 20-year-old tech that he's pointing at. And then we'll discuss it. I think this is pretty, pretty important for people to see where it really is. And again, this is a 10-year-old video. I haven't really seen anything yet. So this is closer to the end of the vision. This, is, this powder-sized chip, um, and that's a salt crystal. So this is a small thing. It's something called the Mu chip from Hitachi. It's the smallest commercially available RFID system in the world and can be pulse powered by radio waves. It doesn't require a battery. You can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. And you know what the really interesting thing about this technology is? This was commercially released 10 years ago. So the inevitability of smart dust. So what is smart dust? Well, Smart dust, of course, isn't a new concept. It's the originated with DARPA back in the 90s. And it's general purpose computing, sensors, wireless network, networking, all bundled up into millimeter scale sensor modes, drifting in the air currents, flex of computing power settling on your skin, ingested, monitoring you inside and out. And if you don't think that's possible, this is the Michigan Micromote. It's a cubic millimeter in size. And uh, in deference to the speaker before, yes, it runs an ARM processor. Um, it's a tiny computer, and it features data pro- uh, processing, data storage, wireless comms. And it's probably as close to the true smart dust vision from the early DARPA days as would come so far. They're designed to harvest energy from the environment around them and to communicate via a mesh network. And of course, the energy is the key problem with this. So that's the crux of it. 
And, and that's, and even talking about using your body's energy, you know, so this is a 20 year old product that was, you know, whatever the image showed a 10th or more and, and that, that definitely smaller now as I can prove with the research, the size of a piece of paper that could be scattered like dust that runs off your body's own energy that can relay information. And it's just like, how is that possibly a 20 year old discussion of technology? We know DARPA's been working on this for a very long time. They're at the point of, uh, you know, hydrogels and stuff like that even further at this point. So how is this conversation not being had? And do you think something like that has potentially been deployed in, in your opinion? I know we're theorizing here, but you're, you, you know, an expert on this topic. So what do you think about that? Well, that, that's an excellent film clip you just showed and very, very revealing, very damning. And why would we think otherwise? Given that right. this technology exists, why would we think they wouldn't use it in every capacity they possibly can? There's nothing to restrain them from doing so. So I, I would, again, think we would be naive to think it's not deployed in, in more ways than we can probably even identify at this point, Ryan. So, I, I mean, while people are going about their lives and, and spending their efforts and energy on football games and political theater, uh, this is all going on. And it, mm -hmm. our futures are inseparable from everything we're discussing here in the very, very near term. So, uh, one can only hope that people awaken to the fact that these technologies are real, they exist, they're deployed, uh, and the impact to not just us, but the planet's life support systems, the entire web of life is absolutely incalculable and irreparable. Yeah, it's, it's, that's my concern, right? I mean, there's something that the point I make about glyphosate, that it's a provable point. We've, 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 that chip has sailed, right? We, we are drenched. It is in everything we do. It's all around the world. Studies have been done. It's in the urine. You know, it's, and that's what worries me is that once you're at that point, you know, it's kind of like the government's at a point, well, well, yeah, that's just the static reality. So now let us do something because of that or whatever. You know, it's like you can't come back from it. It worries you me. You can't. No, so, you can't. So, and he, he, there's other, even we just identified and, and went over that in my, my weekly broadcast, Global Alert News, which is uh, on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. That's our weekly one-hour commercial-free update. But we just covered that. Chlormaquat, which is a chemical most have not heard of, mm -hmm. is now, based on new testing, been identified in 8 out of 10 U.S. citizens. This is yet one more chemical element that's that's in our system that, uh, again, we, we can't know the full totality of dispersion of, of that element, but they, they just keep surfacing one layer on top, another on top, another, how much more can we take, Ryan? Are you, the, are you talking about the sanitizer quad? Is that what you're no, talking about? Is, no, this is, this is used on, on crops. It's used. Okay. It was okay good. Originally banned in the U S the um, Trump administration first allowed some That's of right. that to come in and through imports. And now the Biden administration has basically opened up the floodgate completely uh, for that chemical to be used on crops, staple crops like uh, oats and wheat. And uh, it, it's in everything now at this point. Again, eight out of 10 tested. This, these tests were recently done. Eight out of 10 have that in their system now. A whole yeah. host of downstream effects. And if we look at other elements, again, graphene, for example, that's in our rain. Right. We know graphene is in our rain because we've the last 100 lab tests we've done, we work with a major international institution on this. Graphene is like a vascular machete. It's in our rain, which means it's in our air column, which means we're breathing that in as well. Uh, again, it's a, it's a plethora of toxic elements that are wreaking havoc in our systems. And if we look at even very strong, hardy elements like trees, Ryan, it's, it's killing whole forests at this point. And when you introduce all these elements, you have other factors that come into play. For example, fungal elements. Right. When you fill the sky with these 
nanoparticulate elements, that's at minimum platforms for fungal proliferation. So now we have all that entering the, the fray. What happens when you kill off all the beneficial microbiome in a human body? Fungal elements take over. That's when you get fungal infections after you take antibiotics. So when you're killing all the microbiome on the planet, soil microbiome, aquatic microbiome, now fungal elements take over. And we see fungal proliferation throughout the forest now. Um, it's, and it's happening in human beings also. So, again, it's a total disruption of the entire web of life, a total in contamination of the entire web of life, much of which we don't even yet understand. Right. And, and we're destroying it. It's just terrifying to me. And so well, the three main things that I want to get into with the latter part of our discussion here is, and I'm going to go with another one first, actually, because of what you just said, that I want to get into both the issue we discussed in regard to the delivery system, the lipid, the assembling aspect of it. But since you brought up the point about the uh, uh, chemical spray, um, pesticide, um, but the reason I, I thought it was a sanitizer is I used to work with a, a, a chemical called quat sanitizer, and I was worried that was that is a wildly ubiquitous thing. So I was worried that's what you might have meant. But this is obviously used in regard to food and crops. So this is a very concerning reality here. And so let's talk about the idea of the overlap here of both the nanotechnology side of this and even where that may intersect with the conversation of like a self-spreading concept of either, you know, and here I'll just show this, by the way, either something like this, which is the the work we've discussed in the past from Charles Lieber virus size transistors where you kind of overlap the bio and the tech concepts where, you know, kind of blurs, which is one of his main points in there, or the idea of like a self-spreading, you know, concept for like a vaccine. But the idea that we just saw in Tennessee, a discussion from uh, at the legislature about putting out a bill that argues that w if you go to the grocery, grocery store and there's a cabbage with a vaccine in it, that it has to be labeled as a pharmaceutical. The fact that we're having the conversation about labeling vegetables as, you know, and, and we're debating whether it should be labeled, not whether it should even be done is sort of like a, a either a manipulation to get us looking in the wrong direction. I don't even know. So are you familiar, familiar with that conversation about using foods to kind of like relay vaccinations and other, you know, really God knows what else? I am. I just saw some of that testimony. And again, the, the, the term vaccination, I hope people look past that because that has some sort of implication that somebody's trying to do something good for you, which couldn't be further from the truth, as you know. So that, that term is, is basically used to cover up what should be called biological warfare. I agree. I agree. Well, let's just watch the clip uh, opening part of it. Oh, here. 1894. Chairman Sapicki, you have a motion, a second. You're right. <clears throat> Thank you. Just a quick background, which I think is really crazy to me. HB 1894 is you know, so the whole point is he's discussing that we need to label these pharmaceuticals, which I agree with. But it's interesting that the conversation is like, well, is that happening? <laughs> it's like we have to wait for it to be on the shelves before we can decide whether or not to label it a certain way. I just think the way that politicians think is mind blowing to me. Um, House Bill 1894 classifies any food that contains a vaccine or vaccine material as a drug under the Tennessee Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act defines vaccine or vaccine material as a substance intended for use in humans to stimulate the production of antibodies and provide immunity against disease prepared from the causative agent of a disease, its products or a synthetic substitute treated to act as an antigen without inducing the disease that is authorized or approved by the United States Food and Drug Administration. All the watered down variations of the definition right. now. Thank you for that explanation of the bill. Do we have any questions for the sponsor? Uh, Chairman Kumar, you're recognized. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman Speaker. 
kindly uh, tell me. The, I don't. Oh, let me skip to this one. We would deem that a pharmaceutical in Tennessee. Sure that we sure that we food source drug. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm this one. Can you give me an example of a food that's a vaccine? You recognize? Yes. Uh, University of California, Riverside has already perfected the ability to put human vaccines into our lettuce right now. Also, toma also tomatoes has the ability to do that also for UC Berkeley. And then uh, Big Tobacco, R.J. Reynolds and stuff has perfected the ability to put a human vaccine in, into tobacco products. Chairman Clements. And is that even legal to do in the state of Tennessee? To right. And that's the crux of the point, right? And he's arguing, well, that's not what the bill's about. It's like, you know, so anyway... I want I mean, your I, your thoughts on this in general. So first, do you think that is already happening in your opinion, right? In regard to what might be happening to foods and so on. And it's interesting to me in regard to the overlap of, you know, what we're talking about with the spring, like, you know, and this is just a completely theoretical point, but just a hypothetical, like in our argument here, the crux seems to be to agree on that one, if it's being discussed, it's probably already happened. And two, that this has been provably done for a very long time. So I worry about the steps like that, that we might not be seeing now. Like if we're talking about using nanotechnology and these kind of things to create certain uh, aspects, whether we're talking about vaccination or something we'll get to next in regard to what you could deliver with and internally in the body. You know, so do you think there's an overlap there in regard to the spraying and what you talked about, just use of nanotech to create an outcome in things that we're not talking about, like vaccinations, but food? Certainly it's, I mean, the, the overlap is there and back to what's settling down through our air column and the technologies that we know exist and likely much more that we don't even know about yet, but that's what we can't hide from. We can hide from vaccination. We can refuse to eat their lettuce or their tomatoes, or we can attempt to grow our own, but what good would that do us when we have these bioavailable elements again, saturating our air column, our soils, our waters being uptaken and anything we grow as well. There is no place to hide from that. Every threat that you're trying to highlight here, Ryan, and thank, thank you for doing so. If we don't stop what's being dispersed in our air column, we cannot hide from that. And the consequences are manifesting by the day. So we're exposed to everything that you're highlighting on this exchange. And, and thank you for all your research in doing so. And, and that's why geoengineeringwatch.org is so focused on what's happening in our skies, because we cannot escape that threat, period. And it's all of the above. It's everything we've gone into on this exchange. And it, it's simply infiltrating virtually every aspect of of our ability to eat, drink. Um, this this is a threat we must deal with, Ryan, or, or very soon nothing else will matter. And at any point in time of their choosing, and I want to stress this, we have what we know, again, our biological carrier platforms, polymer fibers and graphene. They're used militarily for biological warfare. If they feel they're not making progress at their agenda fast enough, if they feel the public is waking up uh, soon enough to cause a threat to them, they can level the playing field overnight by putting something much more lethal in this mix that's already being dispersed in our skies that we're already exposed right. to. Marburg, Ebola, a hemorrhagic fever of some sort, they can level the playing field overnight. Right. See, you know, as we continue through this, like I, I can, I recognize you know, a, a level of redundancy in the discussion just because that the point is the same. And I, I still, but I, I do think it's important to discuss these and lay out the different dynamics. But your point is the same. It's already being done. 
It's our, if, and I, I really kind of just fixating on the point you made there that, you know, we can talk about the idea of the food or the vaccinations or anything else. But if this is, as we know, is constant daily all the time, you're right. I mean, it's the biggest hole in the boat. As I don't, I forget if you made that off air or not, but it was an analogy you made in regard to dealing with the biggest problem. Right. And I, 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 I agree. I think that's the obvious issue because it is clearly happening and it is clearly building. So in regard to the point of the delivery, like the why of it all, and I think this is the problem that most individuals I've always pointed out in any of these conversations that the why matters. It obviously does, but you can't really, it's more difficult than ever to prove intent. So it's about what we can prove, what's happening scientifically and so on. And then we can debate about the intent, but first and foremost, we can just see that it's happening. But in this case, the intent is interestingly important, right? And so what do you think is really the end game here? We talked about the idea of, you mentioned the fibers and the graphene points, which there's endless amounts of research showing graphene and graphene oxide as the next step for vaccination, for, for delivery of, of different, uh, you know, medical materials. So you talked about the idea of the biological carrier platform, the pathogen dispersion. So what exactly is that, does that mean? And how do you see that playing out? Explain that to people and why you, what, you know, what they're accomplishing there. Well, to, to back up a bit and, and just to give an analogy to what you said earlier, and, and people don't know intent and they tend to discount what is already evident. So if you find a body in the street and you don't know exactly who um, was the perpetrator of that person's demise, does that mean that there wasn't a crime? Of course not. It, it, there was still a crime in that case, and the, and the same is true here. So just because we don't know um all the individuals involved, the entities involved, or necessarily all the motives doesn't mean that it's not occurring. We have absolute indisputable proof that this is occurring in our skies, that these elements are there, that these reper repercussions are there. And in regard to those who would ask that question, and many do, and it's, it's their immediate out for acknowledging this reality, why would they do this to themselves? But they already have, haven't they, Ryan? And we, we've had this discussion before and how much have they done to themselves already? We have the detonation of 2,400 nuclear bombs, which contaminated the entire planet, including them, they, those behind these programs, those who print the money, those who control militaries. They have done this to themselves already. We have Fukushima, triple nuclear meltdown, no technology to fix it, no end in sight. We're building 60 more nuke plants right now. We have 442 online. But if we look at that one single issue, 442 nuclear power plants, which will go into full-blown meltdown, when society collapses. And I do say when, because that's what most people don't want to face, Ryan. They don't mm -hmm. want to face that this paradigm was never, ever sustainable. And that doesn't mean I'm an Al Gore fan. I'm not, or any of the environmental groups, all of whom right. ignore climate engineering because they're protecting their 501c3 nonprofit. That's criminal hypocrisy. But the bottom line is this trajectory of so-called militarized, industrialized civilization never sustainable, but those in power have used this to to gain that power and that control. They're not going to let go of that. So we're, we're faced with a paradigm of nobody who wants to face reality while the ship is going down and we're neck deep in water on the on the deck of the Titanic. Right. So, so the bottom line is, again, those in power will do whatever they feel they have to do to maintain that hegemonic power until the moment of impact, which I would argue is perilously close. We have, and we have stock markets hitting record highs while we have about three dozen countries around the globe descending into chaos right now, because there's literally right. not enough to eat their life support systems. Their ability to grow food for their populations are completely collapsing. Their water supplies collapsing. 
this whole scenario is imploding right now. And we have people pretending that somehow it will be sustained in the future. So again, back to your original question, those who've done this to themselves, looking through their lens, they feel they have no other option, but to continue to double down on this insanity until the moment of impact. And and that's a very, very difficult corner to try to, to find any way out of Ryan. I would argue right now, and I'll leave it at this, Right now, what we're fighting for, if we can expose and halt what's happening in our skies, stop the contamination, stop the damage to the planet's life support systems, allow the planet to respond on its own to the damage done, we would at least buy time. And that's worth fighting for. Absolutely. I completely agree. I I don't know. I mean, nobody logical could disagree with that statement. But into the specifics of the actual point about what this could be doing, right? So to what end? And again, this this not a mind reader, right? But logically what you think in regard to the conversation of the, so we're talking about the, the, the geoengineering, the, the manufacturing of these events and overlapping that with the conversation of smart dust and, and these self-assembling graphene nanotechnology conversations. So to what end is kind of the argument or the question and, and to what, you know, you mentioned the idea of biological carrier platforms, or you mentioned the idea of the potential dispersion of something like a Marburg, do you see that being something as simple as just the particles or are we talking about nanotechnology with the overlap of the graphene? And so, and, and, you know, explain us, explain that to me. How do you see that playing out? What does that look like? And what's it, what's the point of doing so? I think there's much we can't know, but again, when we know that there's about 400 biolabs around the globe and this is exactly what they work on is this type of pathogens. It's, it's their, uh, their objective. So, Again, all that would need to have happen is a, a successful delivery system from the clouds to the ground of these elements without even some of the higher levels of technology. They they have the ability to spread these pathogens right now. And again, on the on the to what end standpoint, it, it, it does come back down to what I stated, those that those in power are going to try to hang on to that power until the brutal mm-hmm. bitter end, which is unfolding right now, I would argue. This is uh, an unraveling of what was that, that's occurring right now. And for, for those that want to cling to this, this current paradigm and pretend that it's, it's going to magically work out, it's, it's not, but they, although these technologies exist, Ryan, and although they're certainly um, being utilized, it's still, um, we're still faced with the equation that, um, if we remain on this current course, I would argue that we probably, I would be surprised, let me say that, if we reached the end of this year without significant links in the chain dropping out. And yes, we have the disaster capitalists that they're, are trying to uh, either retain power, control, profit from these elements. But none of those agendas matter, do they? None, none of them matter. Whatever they're trying to achieve, whether they're trying to achieve a more automated society that serves their interests or or fulfills whatever functions that those in power would wish, none of that matters on a planet that no longer supports life. Right. And, and that is what we're hurtling toward by the day. So whatever the agendas and objectives are, Ryan, um, they will be moot points if we remain in the current course. And that's what we're trying to stress. Many agendas and objectives in play. We don't argue that. The smart cities, the, um, the, the various layers that go with that, but none of that will reach fruition on the current course. Does that make sense? 
hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of trying to tease out some of the more specifics, but you know, the, the, I'm worried about where it goes, the, the biosurveillance. And again, specifically the conversation of like the nanotech as opposed to particles, but you know, how, to the extreme levels of the research regarding influencing thoughts, feelings, actual actions, you know, the ferret nanoparticle stuff, or, or whether uh, to your point, whether this could be utilized to assassinate a foreign leader, you know, like I can just see how these things can overlap with, all sorts of different things that concern me, but you, you make a good point that ultimately it's, it's, it gets into the, the, the point that you said is moot in regard to it's happening. We can prove it and that we need to do something to ultimately stop it. And to your point, we're on again, the same page. We're on the same page. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in any way disputing that, that these objectives are likely a part of, of their agendas and, and being um, carried out to various degrees right now. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, Ryan. I'm simply saying that on the current course, um, all of those um, agendas will be moot very, yeah. very, very soon. As as collapse unfolds and those in power clearly, if they really, really were a coherent and even looking through their own lens at carrying out their own objectives, they would not have reached this point already. They would they would not have painted themselves into the same corner with a planet that's completely collapsing in which no one gets out alive. So how, however deep, dark and diabolical and, and this, this evil genius is, it clearly is, is not coherent, even looking through its own lens. It's, it's going to exterminate its, itself along with the rest of us on the current trajectory. Well, that brings me to an interesting point we can kind of end on here that I think is, is you know, you mentioned something in this, but I've had this thought before, and I don't mean in this point to necessarily have to suggest that it's for some outside entity, but it nonetheless interestingly takes the form, if you look at the big picture, of almost like terraforming, right? Like you're trying to like literally change the the makeup, the, the, the uh, what's the right word for it? Uh, atmospheric. I don't, it's weird to me to see how many different ways it seems that the actions they're taking are almost taking the form of like an anti-human action. Like it's the last thing we would want for the thriving of the human species. So it's odd to me. And do you have any thoughts on if that term even makes sense or, or why that might be happening? I mean, you, I feel like you mentioned a part of that to, you know, try changing the makeup of the planet. I know. I, I understand your point. Um, again, what I would argue is th this is the term they use to justify what they're doing. It's in their eyes, a risk to risk scenario, mm. the risk of doing what they're doing in our skies to the risk of not doing it. And that doesn't mean in any benevolent sense when they refer to that term and its application, it's only in regard to them retaining their power and control. So again, when we have the type of damage being done from what's occurring in our skies and it, power structure cancer mentality that only knows how to double down. The more damage they do, the only response they know how to counter that with is to double down again and again. So we take, for example, the damage done to the ozone layer, which again, by itself, an existential threat. We have methane filling the atmosphere right now, which is a consequence of thawing and releasing methane fields. It's not, I'm not talking about cow flatulence. We're, Mm -hmm. That's simply a distraction to drive a wedge into society also to think that they're, you know, it's about your cheeseburger. We have massive methane fields releasing in the, in the Arctic. I encourage your listeners to search Arctic uh, or Siberian methane craters. Look at the images. It's, it's shocking. It looks like nuclear bombs going off methane exploding out of the tundra. It's happening on the seafloor. So what do they do to counter that project Lucy and project Alamo? Those are acronyms for 
the microwaving of our atmosphere with opposing frequencies in a desperate, dangerous, and unimaginably destructive attempt to molecularly degrade that methane. So again, if we look at this through that lens, Ryan, back to your original question, why would they, quote, terraform the planet? I would argue if we look at the entire chain of these events, we see layer upon layer upon layer of insanity stacked on top of reaction to one form of damage by doing even more damage to try Mm -hmm. to hide the first form of damage. And we end up here. And and this is simply the mentality of too many in the human race that are concerned with the next uh, quarterly profit margin and and some of these industries, defense industries, and and no regard for the consequences and a public that simply doesn't want to know. They want to go to football games, Ryan. They want to pretend that voting for their particular political puppet will somehow make everything magically better, none of which is true. So uh, it's a very dark equation. And I would argue, I'll leave it at this, Ryan, that we're caught. Those who are awake and aware and trying to fight this are caught between the proverbial hammer and the anvil, a clinically insane power structure and a population that's hopelessly asleep at the wheel. Yeah, I I will say, though, that I feel more and more hopeful as a... just day by day that more people are willing to entertain these things. And I think that's definitely positive. I, now, I will, finally, finally. Yeah. yeah as, as things get bad enough and the food shelves start to empty out and people are dropping dead in the streets from much of what's been done. Yeah. Finally, it's starting to occur, but it can't occur fast enough. Yeah, I completely agree. I'll leave you with uh, some of the links I had included in regard to you know recent progress of graphene oxide as potential vaccine carrier the idea of graphene oxide use for drug delivery system, just to back up what he was saying earlier. And just the worry that I have in general about the idea of the overlap of nanotechnology in regard to how it applies to the medical field and the, the worry of like the, the, the steps that were t- being taken in regard to smart, you know, self-spreading vaccines. I'll actually, I'll end with that clip for people to see again, but just the idea of how all of this kind of amounts to, I'll reference the bio digital convergence conversation. You know, the, that there here's, this is a U.S. document I discussed where they just, they literally say in 20, 2002, they plan to alter evolution using nanotechnology in, in 20 years, which is literally, literally where we are. And they come out talking about the bio digital convergence and, you know, that side of it worries me, but seeing where that intersects with this conversation, you know, the use of nanotechnology with all these including the geoengineering aspect i just get really concerned to to our earlier point you know what is happening what has already happened that we don't even know about are we are we light years ahead of where we think we are and we're still focusing on surveillance cameras and robots you know it's like that's kind of this weird worry that i have i think you're correct right i'm with you on this i I truly am and i i think that there's layers to this that most don't even want to imagine that are already Mm -hmm. implemented The, the the only part that or the the primary part i think we need to include in this equation that even whatever their agendas that they've already managed to implement as we face total collapse 442 nuclear power plant meltdowns mm-hmm. coming how much will these agendas matter whatever grand schemes that they were working on uh go down with the ship and that's that's a trajectory we're on so yeah um it all needs to be considered and, and back to, again, the primary point of this discussion, all these technologies, uh, we cannot escape what's coming down through the air column. We can't escape that. We can hide from the vaccine. We can hide from whatever is being engineered into a food supply. We cannot escape what's coming down through the air column. So we're, we're back to we must right. deal with that hole in the bottom of the boat. But all yeah. of this is a part of it. And I'm with you on that, Ryan. Yeah, well, and, and I'll I'll end with the point that, that I, I guess you know that I was hopefully trying to to re- relay here is that the the geoengineering aspect of it 
is is leading to those things as well. You know, through the I was worried that that might be an aspect of it that that is leading to the contamination of the food supply, leading to the contamination of the water. You know, already have self serving exactly, exactly. Which I I think that your discussion today and your your insight really open people's minds to that. And I just, you know, I really thank you for your work, Dane. And I, I you know, continually frustrated that people like you are, that don't get the attention you deserve. And I, I hope that more people will continue to look at your work and your documentary. And, uh, you know, thank you for joining me. And I hope that people will listen. And I, I, but I believe they are. And I think it's because of work like yours. So thank you for joining. Well, it's because of voices like yours, Ryan, as well. I'm very grateful that your intelligence, articulateness, and all these issues that you do so much to try to ferret out every day. And we're very grateful for that, for you, for your voice. It's a team effort. And if we, if we collectively focus on our greatest and most immediate threats first, then we can perhaps buy time and focus on the rest, but it's a team effort, Ryan. Thank you very much for your voice. Thank you, brother. And absolutely. And uh, as always, everybody out there, question everything, come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. However, do we really want to intentionally disperse these modified viruses outside the lab? 